This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You might have noticed that in the past few years, a number of large buildings have been left standing, empty, or even abandoned across our city. And with the ongoing housing crisis, it's a wonder why some of these spaces haven't been converted into affordable housing. So today on CityCast Portland, we're digging into the status of a few of these vacant buildings with Willamette Week reporter Anthony Effinger. It's Wednesday, September 20th. I'm Claudia Meza, and this is what Portland's talking about. Do you think this is the most empty or abandoned buildings that the Portland Metro has seen? 100%. Okay. Is this also like nationwide or are we just extra special? We, uh, it is nationwide, but Portland, uh, according to many people, is uniquely plagued by empty buildings. I actually had lunch with a guy the other day who does research on this sort of thing at a brokerage, and he thinks the real vacancy rate in downtown Portland is 40%. Whoa. So that means that's everything. That's like if a building has no tenant, if a building has, you know, a lease, but the tenant's not in there, mm-hmm. or if there's a sublease and there's no one in there. And that would be above a national average. It's, you know, there's more vacancy in Seattle, San Francisco, you know, the West Coast cities, right? right? The, tech, the tech cities where people let people work from home more readily, right? right. They're still vacant. Whereas in the Midwest, where work from home is um, not as tolerated, seems to have higher um, occupancy rates. Gotcha. So less vacancy there. So the fact that Portland is able to work from home, it's a big reason. It's not because downtown Portland is is a hellhole. It's, it's partly that, unfortunately. I mean, people are still unwilling to come downtown because of the state of affairs down there. And what this guy that I had lunch with the other day said was, what you really have to look at is, is it worth the commute? Mm-hmm. So... You've got some really nice new buildings going up in Portland. And guess what? They're getting some tenants, right? Because it's worth the commute. Mm-hmm. People are like, okay, this is nice. It's got some amenities. It's got a gym. It's got, you know, a food court or something. And there's parking. And it's worth going downtown. If that's not the case, boy, you really have trouble filling these buildings because people are like, what's downtown? Yeah. You know, my my class B office building with like my favorite restaurant closed. It can be a little scary walking down the street. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I've been downtown. I mean, it's, you know, it's no secret. We do see people smoking fentanyl in the street. It's just a fact. Yeah. You know, when I said hellhole, I also want people to know that this is like a quote unquote. It's not personally what I think. I only go downtown when I need to just because I live on the east side. And I feel like a lot of people feel this way. Like down, you literally have to cross a river. So I totally agree yeah. with you, Anthony. Like it has to be worth the I basically go for restaurants or for an activity. You know, I don't go just to like chill or hang out. But I'm also not a teenager. Yeah. So Right. Well, I mean, the interesting <laughs> thing is like, so I work in Slabtown, which is northwest of downtown, and it's you would never know that we have 40% vacancy downtown there. It's mm-hmm. just it's just different. People are in the street. It's an 18-hour neighborhood, meaning people work there, then they hang out there, and then you know, they live there, but downtown is just not that. And so I think downtown is suffering uniquely. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the neighborhoods in this town are still pretty good. Yeah. 
you know? I mean, there's restaurants, there's people, there's stuff going on. Um, but the downtown core is just struggling. Right. You know, Anthony, this entire conversation came about because we had a listener email in asking mm. about a very, very specific empty building in her neighborhood. <laughs> uh, so when your incredibly well-researched published article uh, came up with a list and an update of the various buildings in the city that were empty, I thought that was just like straight up kismet, you know? This was meant to be. Yeah. So we, do, we did two things. We did one story about the empty buildings downtown, and then we have an ongoing series called Chasing Ghosts, where we do every week we look at a vacant building. And unfortunately, there's just no shortage of vacant buildings to look at every week. So our listener wrote in asking, what is the deal? And deal was all capitals, by the way. What is the deal with the abandoned Gordon Fireplace building on Northeast 33rd and Broadway? It's it, it, She basically said, it seems like it's the perfect place for low-income housing. Like, why isn't it? And for those who are just like, where is this building? Could you orient us, Anthony, as to where the building is? Yeah, it's at 33rd, right off of 84. Um, so 33rd and Broadway, and that's right you know, where the Banfield Freeway kind of curves in there. So it overlooks the highway. And it's right out, like I say, on Broadway. And they actually built buildings next to it, new buildings mm -hmm. across 33rd to the west to mimic the style of this building because it's the old aircraft building. It used to be, um, they used to make aircraft parts there. Oh, wow. And so it's, so it's kind of historic. And the idea was that, you know, this thing would survive and... The buildings next to it should kind of look the same right? right so if you look at the building that has a new seasons in it next door it looks kind of like this but the bottom line is this they, they a guy bought it he was going to make um creative space like office space in there oh, that would have been cool and yeah and he had real trouble you know the permitting process took a long time and then the pandemic hit mm. and everything changed and since then it's just been sitting and we haven't heard much about it. If he's planning to do office space there, that's going to be a risk because there's just so much office. Mm -hmm. And you might see him pivot to housing. And this one, this one, you know, it could work because there's windows in the building, which is what you need. And it doesn't have a super deep floor plan. So there's not an interior where you don't have any windows, right? That's the big problem with these office buildings. Oh, and it's also next to a new seasons. Like it's already, it's already there. Yeah. You know? Got a new season. And also... If you walk, I don't know, I, I, 10 minutes, I'm assuming, the Hollywood Theater is right there. I mean, that's how I know this building. It's, it's always on the way when I go to the Hollywood Theater. Yep. It's a part of town that you think would have a lot of potential. Yeah. You know, I mean, the freeway is the freeway is right there, but they have built housing and people, you know, are willing to live there. They can do things. They can do magic with windows in terms of soundproofing now, mm -hmm. right? And it is. It's centrally located. I mean, you know, we need to check up and see what his latest plans are, but nothing's moving there. The only thing that's happening is new graffiti every every now and then. Yeah, it's it's basically a, a canvas for anyone who's trying to get into the graffiti game, it seems, because there's some really good stuff, and then there's just stuff where you're like, oh, buddy, you should have stayed at home, but that's fine. <laughs> yeah, no, there is, there is some good stuff. <laughs> um, it's exactly right. It's a good word. It's a canvas. You can you can always go check. Here's a little tip for people. You can always go to a site called portlandmaps.com. Mm -hmm. Portlandmaps.com. They suck all the data out of the assessor's office and they put it in there. And all you have to do is enter an address and you can find all sorts of information about what's going on. You can find new permits. Uh, you can find what the assessor is saying. You can find out who owns it, when it's been sold. So I would encourage people, if you've got a question about a property, 
you know, check Willamette Week and see if we've written it up. And if not, portlandmaps.com. Uh, this, it's really easy. Yeah. Well, here's hoping that uh, the person who owns Gordon's Fireplace Shop pivots to housing because that's actually what we need. Yeah. And the building itself was built in 1912. So it's like a really cool historic building. I hope they keep it around. If you switch from commercial to residential, so say you have an office building, it's been commercial, you want to go residential, you have to go through a total seismic review and seismic upgrade. And that is where the money just gets crazy. Mm. Yeah. So that's another hurdle to turning this stuff into housing. I feel like the hurdles are what the city should be focusing on helping um, developers jump through. I think they're trying. I think they, they have been trying to loosen some of the seismic, which, and again, that gets into, well, should we be doing I that mean, or not? not I mean, loosening. not loosening. It's a real dance. Yeah, not <laughs> loosening, but like providing, f helping fund, you know, like not, <laughs> no, no, we're not saying we don't need this retrofit, but it's just like, if it's really yeah. expensive, like, hey, we'll pay for half or, you know, whatever. What about using like, a f how about a federal program that helps seismically upgrade things in the Northwest? I mean, this is millions and billions of dollars. Mm -hmm. if, if you believe that we're going to have a 9.0 earthquake, as everybody predicts, like it could happen right now when we're sitting on this podcast, right? I mean, mm -hmm. that's, that's the fact. If you believe that, then we should probably be doing more than what we're doing. Right. It's true. Right. And, and there's no only one entity in the, in the world that could possibly afford that. And that's the federal government. Right. Well, another building on our what's the deal list is a actually a really beautiful uh, office building that this whole time, Anthony, I thought were fancy condos, um, but they're pretty much on the Northwest waterfront. It's called the field office. Tell us what you know about it. What were its dreams, Anthony? Oh, God. So that building was conceived and built when all sorts of tech money and tech companies were moving to Portland because San Francisco and Seattle were getting crowded. Right. Mm -hmm. So you remember in Silicon Valley, all of a sudden in the, I think it was in the teens after 2010 or so, all these companies moved into San Francisco and it boomed. Well, guess what? Real estate got really expensive in San Francisco. Well, guess what? Let's move to Portland. It's cheaper there. And it's kind of like San Francisco. They have, you know, we have artisanal donuts and, you know, all that stuff. So the guys who did field office said, hey, we got all these tech companies moving up here. Let's build them a building that will attract them. Right. Mm -hmm. So they built a building that was like, kind of a dream for those companies that had a roof deck. It's got like bike parking. It's got scooter charging. It's got cool spaces to hang out. It's like, you can imagine like it's tech bro heaven, right? Right. Okay. So they build the, the guy, the local developer builds the thing and then sells it. This might've been the greatest sale of all time in Portland. Why is that? Uh, Tom Cody and his company project um, built the thing and sold it in 2019 to Goldman Sachs and Lincoln Property, um, two companies. They sold the thing in 2019. And you know, everybody in 2019, it still looked like a great play, right? Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? A year later, COVID hits, right? Tech companies abandon buildings left and right, and these guys can't get a tenant. So the thing sits empty through the whole pandemic. And then recently they defaulted, they gave it back to the bank and the bank is auctioning the loan. They're basically auctioning this property mm -hmm. to the highest bidder. And there's chatter that it has not sold yet and that the price is, I, I can't even, it's just all speculation, but it's just brutally low prices. Oh, really? That are being bid for this beautiful Because building. the loan was like, what, 73.8 million? 
There's a lot, yeah. So you're yeah, thinking, and, and, you think I can get it for like a, a cool 10K? Is that what you're saying, Anthony? Listen. Should I put my bid in? You laugh. <laughs> Listen, you laugh. No, maybe not for this, but let me tell you something. I went to an auction for another building, uh-huh. old building. Do you know, you know, um, Pioneer Square and Nordstrom? Yeah. There's a building right next to it called Jackson, Ta- Jackson Tower. It has the clock in the top. Oh, yeah. I know that building. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's like 12 stories high. It's an ancient, it's an old historic building, blah, blah, blah. That thing defaulted. They held an auction on the courthouse steps literally wow. one of those deals like in a movie no one bid zero so the creditor which i think as i recall was jp morgan did what's called a credit bid and said all right we'll take this thing not a single person wanted that building so if you showed up with your checkbook there you might have gotten that wow dang <laughs> and then i would i would just be a i would immediately buy a monocle i'd get a little cane and i'd just be like i own a skyscraper you know, <laughs> I'd be so stoked. Oh my God. And it, that would be a great one to own for that. That's like very monocle worthy. Yeah. Right? God. It's old. Yeah. Now I have a new dream. Good, good plan. Oh, that is now <laughs> is to buy a, it's so crazy. A, a downtown Portland building for like 10K or less. And uh, yeah, and then finally get that monocle. Okay, well, let's take a quick break here. And when we return, let's talk about the buildings that have personally bummed us out to see empty. You know, are there any specific vacant buildings that made you particularly curious about like what happened to them when you were doing this project? Oh, God, you know, there's such a beautiful, we, you know, Portland has this great architectural heritage. Um, there were architects working here in the forties and fifties who were just incredible. Right. And, and, and there are some real gems and there's one building that's called the Commonwealth building on sixth Avenue downtown. And, it was built by an Italian architect, Pietro Bellucci. He was Italian born and he later became the dean of the MIT School of Architecture and Planning. And he went on to design the Pan Am building in New York, which is, I think, the MetLife building now. Wow. But this thing was one of the first sealed skyscrapers. It was one of the first, you know, mm-hmm. when we think of skyscrapers, we don't think of having the windows open. It's like air conditioned, the windows are all, you know, right. flat glass, right? So it's put on the National Histor- uh, Register of Historic Places in 1976, right? And it's like this pretty cool building. And it is was totally empty. And it went back to the bank, foreclosed on this uh, company that owned it. Uh, and, it's, and it's empty. And it's, again, it's one of these that I believe it went to auction. And I believe that the lender had to take it. Oh, another one I could have bought. Oh, oh. my God. I know, and this one's cool. I mean, it's such a neat building, right? It's historic. These guys, they, they bought it um, for $69 million in, tw- in 2016, mm-hmm. right? It went at auction. The lender paid $15 million. Oh, man. I mean, can you believe that? Yeah. Anyway. Ugh. You know what building I'm fascinated with? And it's one that you did, but let me tell you about it. It's the Montgomery Park Which? building. Oh. It's such an iconic building, I think, in our in our skyline. For me, it's like right up there with the stag sign on Burnside. Totally. Like every time I drive by it, which is often because I live in uh, St. John's, it just it just looks so sad and like neglected. And like when it's backlit by a sunset, like 
I don't know. I don't even know why, know. but it makes me nostalgic for something that I don't even know what exists because I wasn't born and raised in this city. But it just makes me there's it's a sadness. It's a sad building. Like, what's up with that building? What's going on? I get that. I get that. It just sits out there. It's got this big sign on it. It's and you know if I, if you've been in it, it's actually a pretty nice building. Really? You know, it's a pretty nice building. It's got some neat spaces. It's got some weird spaces, but it's a pretty neat building and it does have windows. But yeah, that one is owned by a Seattle company called Unico Properties. It has not been foreclosed. There are there were liens on the building, that meaning that somebody was trying that had wanted money for some renovations they did, and the payment was late. Mm. So there are liens. That doesn't necessarily suggest that they're in deep doo-doo, but this is again, they bought it for $255 million in 2019. Mm -hmm. You know? Tech companies were coming here. Interest yeah. rates were low. People were like, you know, ready to go. And and then, boom, literally a year later, COVID. Oh, that's too bad. And it was the biggest building in the city when it was built. Yeah. <laughs> oh, maybe that's what it is. It's like, it just, it like exudes that. Like I was once great, but here I am, you know, and you just feel sorry. Every yeah. time you, I'm like, oh, buddy, I'm sorry. I don't know what's going on with you. Well, that's it. I mean, you know, you can't help but say, oh, these people are just a bunch of real estate, you know, ah. but these buildings are are pretty cool in many cases. And these people pay a lot of property taxes. Yeah. And without that money, I mean. <laughs> Who are these people that are just gonna get yeah, able to continue to pay, you know, property taxes, taxes. and I don't know if they've got a mortgage or whatever. And, and there's nothing going on. Like who are they just writing this off? Yeah. Is that why they're just able to write it off? Well, they keep going as long as they can. And here's the problem is a lot of these buildings are coming up for refinance right now. And back when they bought them in 2016 and whatever, interest rates were so low. Now they got to go get money to refinance and the rates are through the roof, yeah. right? We all know what's happened there. But anyway, these are, here, here, you bring up an interesting question. Almost no local Portland, like real estate family businesses in our story mm -hmm. because they tended to own their stuff for a long time and they tend to own it for cash. So what you're, what you see is a lot of people from out of town, mm -hmm. you know, Newport beach, Seattle, Denver, New York, like these, the money centers, people were like building up these portfolios across the country. And they're like, Hey, we should have something in Portland because <laughs> it's a hot market. Okay. Yeah. And they come out here and, and they plock down money, borrowed money. And, you know, it might be they don't know the they don't know the place as well as, say, you know, some of the other the Goodmans, the Menashes, right? They've been here forever and they're kind of like, you know, they know the they know the they know the lay of land. Yeah, and they're just like So they're not showing up in our they're not just not showing up as being in trouble uh -huh. yet. You know? Oh man. So you know, yeah. you've been following this story for a bit. Like, what do you think? Do you see a way out? <sighs> okay, well. So I just heard that a company called Smarsh, which is a tech company here in town, was sending about 250 people back to work downtown. And that's a big deal. I can never keep track of what the city has said their policy is about workers downtown. Mm -hmm. But I think if the city sent their workers back to work downtown four days a week, it would bring some life back to the, you know, the city. So I think when that happens, if you get some people doing like what Smarsh is doing, that could help. And say, say, say we, so, so work from home is going to keep, going to persist, mm -hmm. right? That's going to persist at some level. 
which means there's going to be diminished demand for office space, which means that some of these buildings, we're probably never going to get back to the occupancy we had is what people say. So some of these buildings might just sit there. And then the question is, what happens to those? Mm -hmm. And so I don't see a way out for those. I, I'd hate to say that this is going to be the state of affairs in Portland forever. I just, I, I, if I had, if you put a gun to my head, I'd say that's not going to be the mm -hmm. case just because, you know, we're tool builders. We can figure things out. Yeah. <laughs> I hope. I think there is some motivation, a lot of motivation in the city right now to figure this out. Yeah. You know, you, you proved um, Mayor Ted Wheeler uh, right in his leanings. I, I don't know if you followed when he had, the, you know, there was that summit with Tina Kotek and um, I believe the owner of a very large, I forget his name, but a, a very large uh, downtown skyscraper. And it was the committee that was put together to, you know, figure out what to do with Portland. Yeah. And Mayor Ted Willard went in and asked for a lot of things that seemed ridiculous. And one of them was just like force all the office workers to come back. And everybody was like, ah, like, dude, like first make downtown livable. Um, and so if, if you're saying like that is just one thing that could happen, like that could help is if, you know, you did all, all the workers came back. Do you think that would solve it just immediately? Like all the office workers came back. All of them. I mean, yeah, it's got every single one of them back that was here in 2019. Sure. But that's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. just exactly. Happen. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a tall <laughs> you know, order. I mean, listen, I'm... you know, I mean, Umqua Bank and all these other people, they, you know where they're moving? They're moving to Cruise Way in Lake Oswego. Mm -hmm. I mean, we did a story. We talked about it being the new Main Street. It's it's crazy. So that's that's. I mean, those people are not coming back to Portland anytime soon. They've they've signed leases. Yeah. Well, you you know so. you can go to Lake Oswego. Have fun. Um, yeah. Any I I just want to do a little call out to listeners. If there's any particular building that you're looking at call in or we have a voicemail phone number we have an email just let us know what building you're looking into uh, again we'll link to uh, anthony's and also the willamette week's ongoing reporting on this but yeah just let us know i'm just curious oh, yeah. at like what buildings people are looking at and going like what the heck is up with this now here's the thing though we have a terrible track record that a lot of the buildings we write about tend to burn down <laughs> <laughs> no i'm not kidding you we've had like three of them oh my god but you've now, three out of however many you've been dozens, yeah, yeah. but look, it's more than one percent. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're trying to make a correlation. That's <laughs> I don't want. I just hope it's not. I'm not saying we don't want that on our heads. We're destroyer of worlds, but Willamette Week holds a lot of power. Is what Anthony is trying to <laughs> well, say. No, but, or we're cursed. <laughs> Are we cursed? I don't know. No, there's been a couple. It's sad. Well. Uh, Anthony, thank you so much for uh, hanging yeah. out and, and yeah. like going through these buildings with me. Uh, I'd love to have you back on. And anyone who's listening, if you have ideas for other buildings to look into, shout them out. And now for your microdose of news. Congrats to the chefs and staff at Cafe Oli and Lilia Comador. The New York Times listed them among the country's 50 most exciting restaurants. A few months back, we had Lilia Comedor chef Juan Gomez on the show to talk about Portland's Mexican food scene, if you want to check that out in the show notes. And a group calling themselves Fix Ballot Measure 110 has filed an initiative petition to repeal aspects of Oregon's landmark effort to decriminalize drugs. They're seeking to require addiction treatment for certain drug offenses while making fentanyl, meth, and heroin illegal to possess. 
Columbia Sportswear CEO Tim Boyle and Nike founder Phil Knight have kicked in half a million towards the effort. Also, in response to last week's episode, car-free trips outside of Portland, Stephen Vertel wrote in, I enjoy going out to Astoria and do not have regular access to a car. One good way to get to the coast is the daily bus, which you can book through Amtrak at Union Station. It takes you to Kent Beach, Seaside, and other stops ending in Astoria. The buses are well-equipped with electrical outlets and Wi-Fi. The total trip is about three hours. Doing a one-day trip to Astoria gives you about six hours in the city before you have to board the return bus. The last time I went, I asked about bringing my bike, and it is possible using the luggage area below the seats like the Greyhound buses have. I'm thinking that soon my bike and I are going to Seaside for some ocean air. That's really cool, Stephen. I actually had no clue there was a bus going out to the coast. I'm going to have to check that out because I love going to the coast, but I hate driving there. So this seems perfect. And in response to the same episode, Thomas wrote in, I was really pleased uh, that y'all mentioned in your car-free Portland Adventures episode the exact car-free itinerary I just did last week. I thought I was oh so clever for figuring it out as my own secret gem. And the best part, after a celebratory beer and burger at the lodge, I paid just $2 for a professional to drive me off the mountain while I napped at the back of the bus. Note for skiers. The Mount Hood Express stops both at Timberline Lodge and at Summit Pass in Government Camp. This means you can end your day with an epic long run all the way down to Summit Pass to pick up the shuttle there and not have to worry about finding a way back up to your car just to drive back down again. I believe the same thing applies to mountain bikers, although I have not personally done that. I love the episode and really hope more folks explore what is possible car-free or car-light. The bus fares are so reasonable and it makes both financial and environmental sense. Thanks for writing in, Stephen and Thomas. We had to edit some of these down for time, but if you ever want to give us feedback, you can do so at portland at citycast.fm or leave us a voicemail at 503-208-5448. For even more local news and events, sign up for our daily newsletter, Hey Portland. We'll throw a link in the show notes. That's all for today here on CityCast Portland. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more from around the city. Until then, see you at Slim's. <laughs>